Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are warned that this program contains the names and voices of people who have died. November 7th, 1993. A big blue sky is stretched across Brisbane in Queensland. In a city park, a group of teenage boys are having a few drinks and a laugh. A police paddy wagon, a portable cell with caged windows, starts circling. The group decides to leave the park and visit family and friends nearby. They make their way up the street. The police officers in the paddy wagon are watching them. There's seven to eight Aboriginal persons fairly sort of giving us a few problems. We'd like some persons to come down and give us a hand if you want to come down. A few minutes later, some of the boys yell out at the police. The mood changes. It's tense. Two more police cars show up. Everybody scatters. Eighteen-year-old Daniel Yock is slower than everyone else and gets left behind. He runs and collides with a policeman. The skinny teen is an unstoppable force that meets an immovable object in the burly sergeant. Daniel hits the ground hard. Face streaked with vomit, he's handcuffed and placed on the floor of the paddy wagon. In just over an hour, Daniel will be pronounced dead. The young Aboriginal dancer full of life and passion, gone. His death will rip the scab off an old wound between the police and the Murray community. For the next two and a half decades, his family and friends will ask, why did Daniel die? I'm Alan Clark. I'm an investigative journalist who's spent years covering unsolved Aboriginal homicides. I'm always trying to answer the question, are black victims more likely to be ignored by the public and the justice system? Over the past year, I've been looking into something else, the death of 18-year-old Daniel York. He wasn't the victim of a homicide. His death is not a cold case. It's more complicated than that. It was a black teenager who died after an altercation with police. Even though an inquiry found no fault with the police, more than 25 years on, there are community members who remain convinced that his death was preventable. That if Daniel was a white teenager, he never would have been arrested in the first place. I'm going on this journey to find out who Daniel Yock was and why his death is considered unfinished business. This is Thin Black Line, an investigation into the 1993 death of teenager Daniel York.
Muramura Galanini Wuren. Yes, I too bleed the Muramura Galanini heart. We've blessed his body touched. We slip to the earth, feel with Daniel. I step proud, yield dance that was denial. In a small weathered cottage, about an hour's drive from Brisbane, Lionel Fogarty sits at a desk piled high with stacks of paper. Holding a dog-eared book, he reads a poem he wrote about the death of his little brother. Dayok is a calling, contempt to evil polices. Dayok is a singing to the souls, Aborigine revolution coming. To those pigs sneer and judges too. Dayok want all you young to fight on, not lake on, to fight on, to defend him. Dayok fear nobody, Kozima was a spiritual dancer. Lionel's a well-known poet. He's used to dealing with the media. But when I reached out to him, he was suspicious. He rarely talks publicly about his brother, too painfully reckons. But he agreed to have a yarn with me if I came to Queensland. So, here I am. I just want to show you to see her. Lionel shuffles off into a small room. It's bulging with bric-a-brac, and he starts digging. That's my... Uh... My brother did last uh, Christmas crop he done uh, before our mother passed on. And, so that's uh, a photo of Daniel? Yeah, Daniel and my, uh, uh, his other brother, Adrian, and his mother. And there's Daniel in the middle, he's painted up. He's all painted up doing crop. The photo is taken in the Aboriginal community of Sherberg, where Lionel and Daniel grew up. In the photo, Daniel's mid-dance. One leg's dead straight, sticking out in front of him. His face and lean body are covered in ochre, a piece of red cloth tied around his head. For Lionel, the photo sums up Booney. That was Daniel's nickname. Fit, defiant, and committed to maintaining Yugambeh traditions. Oh, he's a happy-go-lucky young fella, you know, and he's very uh, sport-like, he, he likes boxing. He had some uh, uh, problem with his boxing once uh, in terms of medical uh, issue with his heart, but it wasn't that big, you know. Uh, but he's a pretty healthy young man. I'm going to stop right here because this issue with Daniel's heart is pretty important and I'm going to come back to it in later episodes. He's getting stories in a bit of languages of me and other people and producing his own songs and uh, making uh, dances out of it and making new dances out of it. His love was just uh, sparkling everywhere. He, he gave a good spirituality to uh, re- relive that spirit and make it dance and make it sing and make everyone happy too. When his sister called to tell him Daniel had died, Lionel didn't believe it at first. That's because he's had a few false alarms about loved ones dying in custody. You have a lot of phone calls like that where people who have, who have died said they are dead, that they're not dead, and knocked over by cops and they're not uh, dead or things like that. But this time, it wasn't a false alarm. You know, I went back home, you know, running, walking around my blooming house, singing out in languages, you know, like uh, 
about the Gulliches and the Ganges, you know, and uh, uh, letting everyone know in the community uh, that something did happen to Baby Booney uh, down in Brisbane. Uh, I felt a bit hysterical, you might as well say. Not mentally gone uh, mad, but hysterically emotional. News of Daniel's death quickly spread across the country. Almost every Aboriginal community knew of someone who had died after being arrested. Kev Carmody would later sum up the outpouring of grief and anger in the song The Dancer Is Dead. Flower of youth, cut down in the night, dead in the police van, driven from the sight. Another young warrior has been sacrificed. In Sherberg, Daniel's big sister Irene Landers says the song Dancing Aborigine, written about Daniel by the Murray band Mop and the Dropouts, has become an anthem. Everyone knows the lyrics. Dance, brother, dance, don't stop dancing. Just because you don't see me anymore. Dance, brother, dance, don't stop dancing. This is the voice of the dance in Aborigine. And that's what he is. to be drunk to do it, they play, they just play, it's just... And people get up and dance? Yeah, people get up and dance, so... Not dance, probably, yeah. The song pretty much sums up the bad blood between the cops and the Murray community. And in Cherbourg, there's very good reason for that distrust in authority. Once an Aboriginal mission called Baramba, people were removed from their traditional lands in the 1900s and forced to live here under tight government control. Many suffered unimaginable abuse and were paid in food rations for their labour right up until 1968. And in 1987, the community lost one of its sons. Sherberg's 2,000 residents make it Australia's largest mainland Aboriginal reserve. Late yesterday, the body of 18-year-old Eddie West was found hanging from a football sock in the community watch house. Arnie Irene says that when Daniel died, everyone in the community was immediately suspicious. Because when you found out that it was after the police arrested him, like, what, what were you thinking? Oh, oh, don't even ask me that. Because that'll just think anger and that'll start fearing and whatever, you know. That was just anger. Today, Annie Irene remains steadfast in her belief that Daniel's death was preventable. She claims that he never should have been arrested in the first place. 
we're not painting him out to be a little angel or whatever, you know. He probably would have done his little fair share of mischief too, but not to a point where he has had to die for it, you know. Nobody deserves to die for, you know. Everybody makes mistakes in their life. But it's just sad that we had to live without him in our lives for this long now. And injustice has been done, and why shouldn't people know about it? It's not about putting another person before another person. You know what the main theme over in America is, Black Lives Matter. Why shouldn't it matter here too? While Daniel's death left an entire community in mourning, there's also a group of men who may never heal. They were the people with Daniel that day, and what they saw has haunted them ever since. I'm in Gympie, which is a few hours north of Brisbane, and I've driven up here because I've come to meet Damien Bond. Damien was with Daniel that day. He's still really shaken up about it. He says that no one who was there that day has really been able to move on with their lives. They still suffer a lot of trauma from it. Um, He said, you know, we were all kids at the time. A lot of them were runaways uh, from broken homes and that they were used to being patrolled by police. And he really wants to talk and he feels like it's time to speak up. So I'm just going to try and find his house here in Gympie. Great. I hope it's that place. How you going? That's good. Nice to meet you. Yeah. How you going? This is Rudy, my producer. Yeah. Um, you reckon go somewhere down a park or something? We could if you want. Yeah, I'll just chuck my shoes on. Yeah, sweet. No worries. Yeah, let's do that. Damien's a solid bloke. He's short and lean, with a shaved head and a neatly trimmed black moustache. He takes me to the Mary River. He reckons he'll be more comfortable there, away from town. As we walk, he points out that this is where his nan walked as a kid. Yeah, my grandmother walked along here to Sherbeck. She yeah. would have been probably my daughter's age, like 10, 11. Oh, really? Yeah, she, her mum was from near Yandina. Yeah. Yeah, she was from that area. Jeez. And they walked, they got sent to Sherbeck. They walked along the Mare River and... So they walked all the way? Yeah, all the way to Sherbeck. That's a long from, way. From here, yeah. Along this river? Along the river, yeah. We find a patch of soft grass by the side of the river and sit down. Damien starts to open up about Daniel. We all grew up in Sherbeg together, uh, growing up when we was young. We sort of grew up together. He's a few years older than me. We sort of danced together too with my grandfather, yeah, and he was a funny bloke. Yeah, make you laugh. He loved to dance too as well, yeah. He, he was very passionate about dancing, but his culture was very strong. In their teenage years, Damien, Daniel and a few other mates moved from Sherbourg to try their luck in the city. Yeah, we all ended up staying at a place called Dunley House. It's a place for Aboriginal youth. The name Dunley named after one of the warriors from around the Brisbane area. 
they formed the Waka Waka dance troupe. They were following in the footsteps of their fathers and uncles, who taught them traditional dances. We did a lot of travelling and stuff, yeah, and we performed for a lot of famous people, so and it sort of it kept us out of trouble too, and that was sort of the way we earned our money too. Like we danced for Desmond Tutu. I think he's from South Africa. I've got a photo of the Waka Waka dancers. They're standing with the former Brisbane mayor, Jim Sawley. All of them are painted up, and they're all wearing red lap laps. Damien's in the middle, holding a big pair of wooden clapsticks. But it's Daniel, crouched down in the bottom corner of the photo, that really draws your attention. Every muscle taut. There's a magnetism about him, and it was that intensity that transfixed people when he danced. Best memory, uh, he made someone jump out of their chair. We were performing, yeah. He was dancing towards him with his spear, and then that bloke jumped out of his seat, so that was sort of my best memory, yeah. He made me feel real proud. He had that spirit, old blackfellow way, yeah. He made that bloke jump out of his seat. That's someone very powerful to do something like that. Probably would have been elder now, by now, yeah. He had a lot of knowledge, very powerful, yeah. It was his spirit. Damien suddenly gets up and looks around the riverbank. He grabs two pieces of wood. He offers to sing me one of the songs he and Daniel perform to. While the Waka Waka dancers were popular on stage, off stage, Damien says, people saw them as a group of black teens up to no good. Police scrutiny was a daily occurrence. Get sick of it after a while. Sometimes we couldn't go to the shop. We used to get pulled up, you know. We used to say, hey, we're only going to the shop. I think that's what one of our uncles said. He had to drive us because we couldn't walk the streets without getting pulled up all the time, you know. Yeah, for no reason. On the day Daniel died, it was no different. Yeah, driving past, circling around and staring, and they just kept coming back, back and forth. Were they driving on the, on the road or in the park? Or? On the road, yeah, checking us out. They didn't pull up or anything. Was it just one car? Uh, it was a paddy wagon. Just kept coming back all the time, yeah. That paddy wagon would change their lives forever. It's where Daniel would spend the last few moments of his life. Uh, we just felt, yeah, they didn't believe us. Like, we made it all up. But it was serious, though. We knew, you know, that kind of like bad stuff like that. What we seen, we will put in our statement. Just want justice for our brother. Or maybe stop stuff like this from happening again, like in the future. 
Damien claims no one knows all the details of that day. That's because none of the group has ever broken their silence publicly until now. In the next episode of Thin Black Line, we look at the moments leading up to Daniel's death, minute by minute. And the only eyewitness who was in the back of the paddy wagon speaks in depth for the first time. Yeah, I yelled out and I, I, I tried to get their attention. I, I screamed at the cops. I said, I think there's something wrong with him. He's not breathing. And then there's white stuff coming out of his mouth. He needs to get to the hospital now. He needs it urgently. So it was established in the end, quite conclusively, that the man hadn't been kicked, the police hadn't misbehaved, and the whole thing was, um, you know, well, a horrible mistake based upon um, misstatements of what people saw at the time. The two coppers, plain clothes coppers, ran into the baggage area of the train centre. Our mob pursued them, uh, and there was a very uh, violent, very vicious uh, rule between police and our youngsters. 